Blog Talk Radio. question I've asked my whole life, why? But tonight I'm going to talk about weddings. <laughs> of all of the shows I do on Vlog Talk Radio, and I've, uh, I've been on now a year and a half, <clears throat> my most popular shows are the ones where I talk about weddings. Because weddings really are the most wonderful thing that we do here on Earth. And this afternoon, uh, at 3 o'clock, I did a wedding in the gazebo in Heisler Park in uh, Laguna Beach, California. You're surrounded on three sides by the glorious Pacific Ocean. And the bride walks in through a beautiful garden that is always blooming. And it was full of blooms today, purple and yellow and pink and red flowers, all blooming gloriously um, in uh, celebration of this uh, grand and glorious day. But today I did a, a wedding ceremony from a very traditional denominational religious origin. Uh, The bride and groom had never been married before, so this was their first marriage. And even though they do not go to church and don't personally practice any specific religion in their everyday life, when it came down to uh, what they were going to say in their ceremony for their marriage... They did want something that was more rooted in traditional precepts of the Episcopal denomination, which is the religion of the groom's parents. I really felt that the bride's family was not religious, and so it wasn't important to the bride or her family whether the uh, ceremony reflected any specific religious faith or not. However, the groom's family had a long tradition of belonging to the Episcopal Church, and the groom was very specific about what he wanted to have said at the ceremony. So he sent me the actual ceremony from the Episcopal Church Book of Common Prayer. Uh, you know, I think he th- he f- he felt that if we said these specific words. Of this very traditional ceremony from this established denominational religious faith, that their marriage could be empowered in a way that perhaps a more casual or just a romantic civil ceremony would not or could not provide. He told me that he had tried to find an Episcopal priest. <laughs> to do the ceremony for them. 
But since they're not members of any local Episcopal church, every single one of the priests they talked to said that they would have to become a member of their church first and take a series of classes to uh, learn the Episcopal creeds and doctrines and then have six months of premarital counseling. And you know what? I've had a lot of couples tell me this. And this is uh, a very standard practice, and it is also uh, what makes a non-denominational minister such as myself uh, valuable. You know, I can provide all of the services that are considered of a religious nature, such as like a baptism, either for an adult or for a child or for a baby, dedication of the children, confirmation, marriages, funerals or memorial services, uh, without anyone having to go through any kind of pre-qualifications. I just serve the community free of judgment or condemnation without any restrictive doctrines or belief systems that must be adhered to. I'm just a free moral agent of the Spirit of God, and I serve each person as a free moral agent of the Spirit of God. And my brides and grooms have the divine right to have their own belief system and their own standards of holiness and perfection. When I do book a wedding for a couple, I give them a list of questions to answer, and uh, from the answers to those questions, then I do write a personalized wedding ceremony for them. And the first question is whether they do have any specific religious faith. And most times, nearly all the time actually, my couples say, we are spiritual, but we are not religious. And that usually means that they believe in God, but they do not go to an organized church. And so I'll ask them if they want to have a prayer or not, uh, because I also have a spoken wedding blessing, which is not exactly in the form of a prayer, but is it's more like an affirmation for the couple that includes an empowerment for their promises to one another and for them to always be in love with one another. Um I am an ordained minister, and that's what makes me legal to marry people. But my ordination is from a small university, uh, not a specific religious faith. And the coursework I took for that ordination included studying all of the religions of the world, which to me was was just absolutely fascinating. And living here in Orange County, we have every single Um, I mean, the world is just represented here in Orange County. We have every every country represented, every faith, every religion, every ethnic, um, genetic pool uh, we have here in Orange County. And what you know what I have found there's just a very simple and actually a very common thread that runs through all the religions, all the doctrines, all the esoteric the- teachings, all of the uh wisdoms, the spiritual wisdoms that have come down through the 
hundreds and thousands and millions of years, and that is loving and being loved. <laughs> it's just, I say that in my wedding ceremony. All of us need and desire to love and to be loved. So God loves us, and, and we are to love God and then to love others the way we love ourselves. But you know what has never really been preached in the fullness of the truth of that statement? I mean, preachers preach that God loves us, and preachers preach that we're to love God and to love others. But they leave out that love yourself part. (laughs) We've kind of been taught that that's selfish. But actually, only to the extent that we love ourselves can we love another person. Uh, we have to love and respect ourselves first, and then love and respect others. And just as an aside here, um, I found it really difficult to love myself because I had originally been taught, you know, that I was this low-down, dirty sinner, and that had come down to me down through all the times and. I was born in that sin and that the only way that I could receive God's love, you know, like I was cut off from God's love. And the only way I could get God's love was to accept Jesus as my Savior from my sin and then I could find some sort of worthiness in knowing that God had killed his own son to die for me so I could be worthy. But what I found out is that this is just a round robin of damnation that never really gets to the real truth about love. And I think that is why we have a world that is filled with war and hate and greed and dog-eat-dog and beatings and shootings and corruption and everything else that is wrong on the earth today. So to say that the uh, church has failed in its mission... (laughs) to me, is an understatement, but I'm off track here. So even though I (laughs) never have had a church or ever desired to ever have a church, uh, there's just some times when I get on my soapbox and start to preaching. (laughs) So, okay, now I'm down off my soapbox. Let's get back to loving and being loved (laughs) because that's what happiness is all about. We're here to pursue happiness. Our own happiness, not the happiness of other people. Love is not sacrifice. Love is exchange. And we begin with our own happiness. Get ourselves happy. And then we can enter into relationship with someone else who's gotten themselves happy. And then you start out happy. Oh, so one of the most happy things we do here on earth is to have a wedding. (laughs) So I start all my ceremonies by welcoming the guests and thanking them for coming. And then I do say all of us need and desire to love and to be loved. And we're here today to celebrate and validate the love between the bride and the groom. However, in this traditional ceremony I did today, this is what I said. We have come together today in the presence of God to witness and to bless the joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. 
The bond and covenant of marriage was established by God. It signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church, and Holy Scripture commands it to be honored among all people. And into this holy union, bride and groom now come to be joined. If any of you can show just cause why they may not lawfully be married, speak now or forever hold your peace. Now, in my 20 years of marrying couples, I have never said this before. So it made me think about, well, why would this have ever been put into a marriage ceremony in the first place? So this is what uh, my research um, disclosed. First of all, this goes back to before the days of cities and the county clerk's office or the county recorder that issues marriage licenses today. Uh, When you go to the courthouse here in California, both the bride and the groom need to go together and they fill out an application for a marriage license. And that license has information about the couple on it. Now, starting uh, last year, there's not as much information on the marriage license um, as there used to be when I first started doing weddings. Uh, When I first did weddings, the license would tell what the occupation of the bride and the groom were. But today it just asks for date of birth, place of birth, name and place of birth of father and mother, if there have been any other marriages and how they were terminated, like by death or divorce, and what was the date. And then the the clerk then swears the couple... And says, is this information on this license true according to the best of your knowledge? And then the couple says yes and then signs the marriage license and the clerk signs the license. And then they bring that license to me. And I get a witness signature and then I sign it and send it back to the county clerk who then sends it to Sacramento where it will be entered permanently into the public record. Uh, California also offers a confidential marriage license, which is not, which is recorded but not entered into the uh, public record. So in those days, if someone came to the wedding and they knew that either the bride or the groom were not really divorced and they lied on their marriage license, that person could speak at the ceremony. And then the officiant would then be obligated to stop the ceremony and submit the matter to the courts for some kind of clarification and judgment. But, of course, if the officiant doesn't allow for anyone to speak at the ceremony, then the lie would go uh, without being challenged. You know what? I I don't know of any officiants, including myself, who say this anymore. It is practically obsolete. But back when it was always said, there were no city administrations who were monitoring these things. There weren't any authorities in charge to keep records or to regulate these matters. So the original laws of the Catholic Church and also the Church of England provided for this speak now or forever hold your peace as a last-ditch effort to prevent charlatans and swindlers and otherwise other evil motive 
motivated persons from taking advantage. Impediments to a marriage included either the bride and groom already being married or having made a vow of celibacy or being underage, uh, having been kidnapped and forced to marry, uh, not being baptized, being incapable of having sexual intercourse, and this last one, having killed the other's spouse. (laughs) I don't know why that person wasn't in jail, but, you know, some people do get away with murder. There are there were also regulations concerning how related by blood marriage or adoption that a couple could be. You know, nothing could be more melodramatic than to have someone burst through the church doors just in the nick of time to swear that the groom had a wife in the next town or worse that the groom was the bride's long-lost brother. <laughs> Because incest and bigamy are pretty much worldwide restrictions to marriage in almost all countries. And still in some countries, a couple is required to post bans. Now, these bans are originally read in the church for three consecutive Sundays and later, and even today, are published in a locally established reputable newspaper. A couple makes the application for the marriage and they post their bans and then this gives anyone in the the time and permission to speak now or forever hold your peace. And in the earliest times, you know, when there weren't any DNA tests available to prove whether a child born of a union was indeed the son or daughter of the man, the speak now or forever hold your peace would allow for anyone to tell the world that the bride was not a virgin and that the child of the marriage might belong to someone else. In early days, everything was about property and inheritance rights. You know, even the family of the bride would hang the marriage night bedsheets out on the line in public for all to see that the bride had bled during the intercourse of the wedding night to prove that she was a virgin so that any child born of the marriage would indeed be the groom's child. Aren't you glad we have DNA testing? (laughs) So today we do have courts and DNA testing and a lot more liberal look at what marriage really is. And in this country, we supposedly have separation of church and state, but nowhere is that principle more dramatically violated than in the way we handle marriage. Even in Mexico, which is supposed to be a third world country, they have the church ceremony and a civil ceremony. They have more separation of church and state than we do. And actually, marriage is about property rights and inheritance rights, and the right to be present at death, which is why the gay community wants to be able to be married. But to me, marriage is all about the children, children being born of a marriage, and that child's right to have a mother and a father who want them and who will adore them and provide for all their needs and give them all the opportunities to grow up to become self-sufficient adults who will participate in the furthering and the betterment of our society. And somewhere in all of this, you know, I think this part of why 
we get married has been lost. Okay, the next thing I said in my traditional ceremony today was, and I said this to the bride and the groom, I require and charge you both here in the presence of God that if either of you know of any reason why you may not be united in marriage lawfully and in accordance with God's word, that you do now confess it. You know what? I've never heard that before. And in researching the origin of this charge to the bride and groom, I just couldn't find anything about why it was originally done. I guess it's just putting them on the spot before God to challenge them that they have been fully honest about everything with one another. And I've been kind of thinking about maybe putting this in my wedding ceremony. A friend of mine took in a foster child, and she and her husband provided this foster child with a wedding. And the man that the girl was going to marry did have insanity in his family gene pool. The groom's father and his brother were both in a mental institution. And another friend of mine knows a man who married, uh, knows a woman who married a man whose grandfather, father, and uncle all died of Huntington's chloria. Choria, I'm not sure how to say that. Huntington's choria. Now, this is a genetic disease that eventually causes the person to lose the use of their intellectual faculties. So, each person in this family, including the man that this woman married, already has a trust set up to take care of the family finances if and usually when the person becomes unable to carry on. And this trust is set up to acknowledge and care for the dependence of the trust. So this woman would be taken care of financially if her husband does develop that family disease of Huntington's choria. You know, now I don't believe that if your father died of a heart attack that you're going to die of a heart attack. And I don't believe that if someone in the family is insane that that means you could have a child who is insane. I believe that this man who has this strong genetic disposition for Huntington's choria can develop ideas, new ideas, that would preclude him from getting Huntington's choria. Uh, I believe we are sovereign individuals, and we might have some predispositions to some hereditary influences, but we have the ultimate say-so about whether we wish to go that route or not. If you embrace the idea, then yes, you're going to have a chance of going that way. But if you choose not to embrace the idea and you deny uh, any power to that genetic strand, In your DNA, you can change it. DNA is not set in stone. And I've talked a lot about that on a lot of my other shows, so you can go and listen to that about that there. However, you know what? All types of genetic information should be revealed so that we do make good choices. 
couples do need to be very honest with one another and to tell each other everything. You know, marriage gives a couple the most intimacy that is possible between two people. And intimacy is based on honesty. You know, I have some worksheets in my book on pages 45 through 48 to help a couple find out about each other. The first uh, worksheet on 45 is personal. It helps you determine your deepest desires, your fondest hopes, and your most impossible dreams. And And then once you know that about yourself, you are then much better equipped to choose a proper mate. You know, in the animal world, the female is extremely picky about her mate because she knows she has the responsibility for the procreation of her species. That's why male animals vie and fight one another to be the dominant male of the group so that the female will pick them when they want to mate. And in my book, Seven Things, 17 Things to Do While Waiting for Mr. Right, which you can download for free on the Internet at www.mrwriteforme.com. I talk a lot about this aspect of animal reproduction, and I encourage women to be more selective (laughs) of their partners, making sure that anyone that they engage in sexual activity with is the highest and best representative of the male species that is available. Because there is always that chance that a child may be produced. You know, casual recreational sex should always be with protection because we don't want to have a risk of making an oops, uh uh-oh, baby. A child is an eternal soul who deserves to have a mother and a father who love one another and who plan to have that child and will make all the provisions necessary for that child's well-being, nurturing, and advancement. Uh, for me, that also includes the mother staying home and raising the child, but that's another program. I have a show in the archives called Are You My Mother? that talks about this. So truth be told, we just shouldn't keep things from our partner because this is just going to result in less intimacy, less intimacy, and eventually a metaphysical separation in the life of the marriage and the affairs of the couple that could eventually lead to a physical separation and maybe a divorce. You know, I know a husband who has a gambling problem. He sneaks out and goes to the casino. He lies to his wife about what he is doing. And this is eventually going to blow up in their face at some time or another. And it could be devastating to the financial security of the wife and any children. In my definition of love, I say love can stand to know the truth. If you love someone, you can stand to know the truth about them. We just can't deal with lies and deceit and dishonesty. But I believe we can deal with the truth. And we need to know as much about the of the truth about the other person that is possible. Because only in knowing the truth can we make good choices. I mean, once you find out some of the truth about this person you're with, you may choose not to stay with them. 
So I charged them to reveal anything at that moment that they needed to tell the other one. Full disclosure. (laughs) You know, we have full disclosure when we sell a house to someone. Certainly in a marriage, there should be full disclosure. (laughs) And in my ceremony, I also ask the question, do you have any doubts? about getting married today. You know, because I uh, I sometimes can feel the doubt in the heart of one of the people I'm marrying. They just really aren't totally sure about what they're doing. I can feel it. In some cases, it's, it's, I think it's because they know they are settling. You know, they know they're not making the best choice. But sometimes having a someone to them is better than having no one or having to wait any longer for the one. But I want to say right now, if you're on the path to get married, go into your heart and look at what is written on the walls of your heart. What do you really, really want? And then be true to yourself. Because you can know that you know that you know if this man or this woman you're considering getting married to is the right one for you or not. Now, I need to say here that there are some spiritual contracts that we make before we incarnate that can affect the people we choose for our relationships. But if you have made a spiritual contract with someone that involves being married to that person, then you will not have a doubt about it in your in your heart because your heart will know about the contract. So next in the ceremony, they wanted me to say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? <laughs> now, in my 21st century wedding ceremony if the bride has had her dad walk her down the aisle and and you know probably 90% of my brides do i asked the bride who stands with you today and she says my dad you know or my father and then i asked the father if it's a happy day for him and does he support his daughter's decision to be married to the groom but Many times I still do say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Because, you know, many of the fathers are of old school. And because of this original traditional ceremony, they feel like they're doing their job uh, to give their daughter away. It is tradition. (laughs) So how was this uh, tradition established? Well, the original statement of who gives this woman to be married began back when the women didn't have anything to say about anything about their life. The marriage had been arranged by the fathers, and there was usually some kind of a deal. There was a dowry that was paid for the woman. And sometimes another reason why the question of does anybody know why this man and woman should not be married, speak now or forever hold their peace, sometimes concerned that dowry because the deal had been made, but maybe the dowry hadn't been paid yet. Because that dowry had to be paid before the ceremony. And if it wasn't paid at the time of the ceremony, then the parents of the bride could speak 
at the ceremony and say, pay the money or we're not going to go through with this. <laughs> and you know what? Actually, I have a policy in my business that I have to have full payment of the entire wedding in advance, two weeks in advance, or I don't do it. I have to have the payment of all the money before we actually do the ceremony because once I do a ceremony in the presence of witnesses, then we have a legal civil action that is permanent. So I need to have already been paid for it because we can't go back. You know, there's no way we can treat the situation casually. It just it has to already be paid for. Because one time I had a groom call me the day after the wedding and ask me if I had mailed in the marriage license yet. And I said no. And he said, don't do it. I am finding out things about this woman I didn't know. She wants everything that I have. You know, now this is the next day, mind you. They had gone to Las Vegas for their honeymoon. And I guess she had started an intense interrogation about his finances. Well, here's a ceremony that should have had the charge. Question asked of the couple, have you told each other everything? <laughs> I mean, how a couple could get to the state where they want to be married and these things haven't been discussed is beyond me. But the courtship had been done mostly long distance. Uh, he was from Italy, she was from England. So there were a lot of things they had never discussed or disclosed. And now that the woman is the wife, she wanted to know what his financial status was. I I would have found that out before I got married. But I told him, you know what? You declared your intent to marry in the presence of 85 people. If you don't go through with the marriage now, she can have a civil action against you where she could get maybe everything that you have. At least at this point, she can only get half of everything that you have. Maybe you just better stay in Las Vegas and fulfill the residency requirements and file for divorce, and perhaps you can get an annulment. But back to the father giving the bride away. So there was a dowry paid for the woman, and the dowry was to be paid before the ceremony to unite them in marriage. And so once the dowry was paid, then the father gave the woman to the man. To fulfill the contract. Well, eventually the dowry became your engagement ring. (laughs) And even today, subliminally, we do judge a man's financial status by the size of the engagement ring. (laughs) But at least today in the United States, women make their own decision who they're going to marry. Oh, you know, we introduce our intended to the family. And even some grooms tell me they do go to their fiancé's father and ask for her hand in marriage. And when those fathers walk those brides down the aisle, I see the emotion on the faces of those fathers. You know, a man knows what it means to uh, be a man. (laughs) A man knows what a man thinks, what a man needs, how a man feels. And this father knows that he's turning his daughter, whom he'd loved and cared for and protected, he's now turning her over to another man. 
I think believe in nearly every father's heart is the fear that this new man will never take care of his daughter the way he did. He'll never love his daughter the way he loved her. Fathers tell me that the wedding day is a mixture of gladness and sadness for them. Some fathers actually cry when I ask them if they support their daughter's decision to be married to this new man standing there across from them. But there is a father now and then (laughs) who feels relieved now that the daughter is finally going to be given over to someone else. (laughs) One father said, yes, finally. Everybody laughed, but I thought, oh, wow. (laughs) While I was building my wedding business, I uh, worked at a 124-room family-owned AAA motel here in Orange County, and I worked the 3 to 11 shift on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday with a man from Bangladesh who was Indian, and his marriage had been arranged. Uh, They did not know one another prior to the ceremony. There had been a deal made. They had never even seen each other or met until the day of the family uh, wedding ceremony. Now, this man was considered a prized candidate in Bangladesh because his family owned a lot of land and businesses in in India. So his family paid a sizable dowry to the bride's father. And now, even though he he had a certain level of comfortable living in Bangladesh, he still wanted to come to the United States. And even Though in order to live here, he has to work at a job, like working at the front desk of a motel. He still chooses to be here and to raise his children here. So I decided to begin discussing his daughter's marriage with him. When I first started working with him, uh, his daughter was nine, and we worked together three and a half years. So I said, Mohammed, are you going to arrange your daughter's marriage? You know, you're in the United States now. Here we have freedom. And a woman who lives here chooses her own husband. And your daughter's been here since she was six years old. And she goes to school with her friends. And I dare say there is no one in her circle of friends who's going to have her marriage arranged by her parents. Well, in the three and a half years we worked together, Mohammed went from saying that he definitely would choose his daughter's husband for her and that he was already looking over families that would be appropriate to uh, by the time uh, I stopped working there because my wedding business was was going full tilt, he said he decided he would let his daughter be free to date different boys and that he would respect her desires and her feelings concerning someone she might be interested in to marry. Of course, she was only 12 years old by then, but it was interesting to observe the changes that had occurred in his own beliefs and his own experience with being in freedom and how it was also going to affect the experience of his children. He said he definitely would investigate... (laughs) the family of the boy, get to know them, have a relationship with them. And then he said he would make suggestions and give that information to his daughter. But in the end, he would respect 
her choice. Wow, what a transformation, huh? Having seen how much this father loves his daughter, I know it will be a day of mixed emotions for him when he walks his daughter down the aisle. Okay, so now the father has given the bride away, and now the bride and groom are standing together in front of me. And I had already discussed with the groom that in the state of California, we needed for them to declare their intent to be married to one another. So in the next part of the ceremony, I said, Bride, is it your intent to have this man be your husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him for as long as you both shall live? And she said yes. Then I asked the groom the same question, and he said yes. And then they requested a congregational blessing. So I said to the guests, will all of you witnessing these promises do all in your power to uphold these two persons in their marriage? If so, please respond, we will. And all the guests said, we will. (laughs) And for the ring ceremony, first I asked God to bless the rings as a sign of the vows by which this man and this woman have bound themselves to each other through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then they said, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow and with all that I am and all that I have. With this ring, I marry you. And then I did the traditional declaration of husband and wife, and then I said, those whom God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs. You know, these words are hardly ever said at a marriage ceremony today either. But this statement is an admonition to everybody present, and most importantly to the parents of the bride and groom, I think. Because it's a time now when a parent pretty much says goodbye to their child. It's a moment to recognize and accept that this person that you brought into life has now taken the next step in their life, and this step takes them out from under the parental authority totally. These two people have now united themselves together, and they are now totally separate from the parents. They are adults now. They are no longer a child. They are accepting the duties and the responsibilities of being married to each other. But you know what? Today I still see a lot of children getting married who are still children. They're still living at home with their parents. As a married couple, children still living with their parents. This has got to put a big strain on everyone. But I met with a couple one time, and the bride's parents came with them. The girl was pregnant, and I mostly talked to the bride's dad about everything. And the couple just sort of sat there and listened. And I thought this was so strange until... As we discussed everything, I learned that the couple was still going to be living with her parents. 
they would sleep in this girl's bedroom in the parents' home. And then I learned that her older sister was married, and she and her husband and their baby son were (laughs) also still living with the parents, sleeping in her bedroom. Because the husbands were still in school and the daughters are still in school. Well, you know, it seemed to me that the parents were trying to do the right thing. It was it was just obvious they were overwhelmed and stressed by these situations. And I don't know why they just didn't get IUDs for their daughters. Because that way the girls could be sexually active without the risk of having children and provoking these unnecessary marriages because children are having children. However, in this case, because the parents are still providing for their daughters, pretty much everyone in that household is still going to have to do what the parents say. So I could not have said that at that wedding, whom God hath joined together, let no one put asunder, because those kids are still under parental control and authority, and they have no autonomy in their marriage at all. Marriage is a new state of autonomy for the bride and the groom. They are now only responsible to one another, to live their lives together, loving and being loved, forsaking all others. Now in all the others, that can include parents, siblings, former lovers, future lovers, everyone in the bride and groom circle of family, friends, and acquaintances. Those all now have to be put second to the marriage relationship because now in marriage the bride and groom are to be single-eyed and loyal and true to one another first and foremost and part of that loyalty is to protect one against one another against the invasion of anyone else's ideas or influences power and control and to maintain the sovereignty of that marriage A man must leave his mother and cleave only unto his wife, the Bible says. And this is because there can only be one woman's power in a man's life. He turns from his mother to his wife. And the woman turns from her father to her husband. Now, it is true that a woman maintains her relationship with her mother, but it is the wife's duty to her husband to make sure that her relationship with her mother is solely woman to woman and does not undermine or injure her relationship with her husband. The bride is to honor and respect the husband above all others, forsaking all others, including her mother. So if a man and a woman enter into the vows of marriage, then that union is ordained by God and no one is to interfere with it. As the marriage is solely the responsibility of the bride and the groom. Now, if they find that they need some help to be successful in their marriage, then they can open up the sovereignty of the marriage to a professional counselor for help. I'm I'm just a big fan of getting all the help you can get. I'm constantly taking classes and having one-on-one personal coaching even today at 80 years old. I'm still learning, still seeking for a higher and better way to do things. So if you've already gotten married and you've run into some snags in your marriage, get some help. 
Get a life coach to help you work through things. You know, a lot of times a relationship will activate patterns of ancestral information that perhaps doesn't serve us anymore in our new relationship of marriage. And some life coaching can help you transform some of those ancient, unnecessary, and sometimes erroneous beliefs into active power for your situation today. Well, you know, I really enjoyed doing this traditional wedding ceremony. It set me to thinking about maybe some changes I'm going to make in my my regular 21st century um, wedding ceremony that I do all the time. And I was talking with a bride earlier this week who mentioned that her fa- husband's family was Episcopal. So I told her about this traditional ceremony from the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, and she said she wanted to have this ceremony too. So, you know what? Perhaps we're going to go back and pick up some of the original and traditional ideas that used to be associated with getting married. I was having lunch this week with some girlfriends, and one of them had just visited with a long-lost cousin on her mother's side, and this cousin had been married for 60 years. And I said, well, you know what? Back in those days, divorce was not an option. When you said for better, for worse for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. That's what you did. There was no way out. And then I said, my mother used to say, divorce, never. Murder, maybe. (laughs) And everybody laughed. (laughs) Well, I hope you've enjoyed this traditional wedding ceremony discussion. Doing this ceremony has given me an opportunity, really, to take another look at some of the things we used to say in ceremonies, and um, perhaps we uh, should consider starting to say some of them again. (laughs) So this is Marcy Ann, and I'm going to say aloha now. Aloha in the Hawaiian language means hello. Goodbye. And I love you. My music is by visionarymusic.com. Music designed to help us to live at our highest and best level of consciousness. Until next week. Goodbye. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. You can contact Marcy Ann on her website, www.marcyann.com. You can also view all of Marcy Ann's videos on YouTube by putting Marcy Ann in the YouTube search window. You can download her book for free at www.marcyann.com. MrWriteForMe.com And if you want to go into business for yourself, take a look at Marcy Ann's Weddings and Celebrations Business Startup Course at www.WeddingOfficiantSchool.com The Middle of the Week Pick Me Up Energy Show is broadcast live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Coast Time from Marcy Ann's Studios in Southern California. 
All shows are also archived and can be listened to at any time in any place in the world. 